Turn to Genesis uh, 37. I want to talk to you about dreaming. Genesis 37, verse 3. Are you guys there? <laughs> guys are happy. That's good. It's a happy hour right here. Happy meal, happy hour. Yep, you can hear we have this rule. You can think and drink at the same time. Um, verse 3, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, so they hated him, and they could not speak on him, to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream. <laughs> the boy didn't have a lot of wisdom. The Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Please listen to this dream which I've had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf rose and stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. <laughs> Spirit of stupid was on this boy. <laughs> then his brother said, Are you actually going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I've had another dream. <laughs> Behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, What's this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow down, bow ourselves down before you to the ground? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept it in his mind. Um, lesson number one. <laughs> there are times to dream and there are times to not talk to anyone else about your dreams. Especially your brothers. There is another way to the palace <laughs> besides the prison. But if you tell your brother your dreams and you're the youngest brother, chances are you're <laughs> You're going to take the long and winding road, as the Beatles sang, instead of the straight and narrow road. And um, I, I, you know, I feel like um, Joseph is dreaming. Uh, there's just uh, there's such a profound time, you know. In uh, Acts two seventeen, it says, "In the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon what some flesh, all flesh." But I wonder what that means. I wonder if it means all flesh or if it means like all the people in the room. So I don't know if he really meant all flesh or if he just said that. Maybe that's the difference between when I speak and then when they canonize something. But he said, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters would prophesy. Your young men would dream dreams and your old men would dream vision, would dream, <laughs> have visions. Even upon your bond servants and in those days will I pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. I just, you know, one of the main um, manifestations of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is that people begin to dream and have visions. And I just believe that Joseph is beginning to dream again. 
It's interesting. I don't know what all this means, but I was just praying about it last night. Yesterday, most of, uh, most of the week, really, just been having this thing go through my mind. Some of what I'm going to share, I have no idea what I'm talking about, really. It's fairly consistent with some of the things I share. Now, Joseph is the 11th son of Jacob. And um, it's interesting because Benjamin wasn't even born yet. And he saw 11 brothers bowing down to him. And yet there was only 10 when he was dreaming. I just Let's turn to Genesis 37. Oh, I said that. Genesis 41. <clears throat> you know the story that Joseph has dream and he um, tells to his brothers as we just read and they, the short story is, they end up selling him into slavery. He ends up in slavery, gets sold into Egypt. The Egyptians buy him. Pharaoh's right-hand guy, Potiphar, buys him. He ends up working for Potiphar, does a great job. Everything that Joseph touches turns to gold. Potiphar's wife really loves Joseph. Joseph doesn't want anything to do with her. She doesn't have much in the way of morals. <laughs> And she tries to seduce him, and he runs out of the room, and she decides to say that Joseph raped her, and into prison he goes. So he goes from slavery to prison, and he's a prisoner there, and the story goes that the king gets mad at the, his cupbearer and his baker, and he throws them both in prison, same prison that Joseph happens to be in. And I love this, because if you read through the story, it says that when Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's house, it says, and the Lord was with him and he made him a successful man. And then Joseph is in, then Joseph goes from slavery to prison and it says, but the Lord was with him and made Joseph a, a successful man. So Joseph is successful in slavery and Joseph is successful in prison. How many of you know that it's not the outcome of your life that makes a difference, but the faithfulness of your life? You can't always control what happens through you, but you can always control what happens to you. No, in you. You know, when it rhymes, it just ought to be right. <laughs> Sometimes you get a cadence going, and I listen to some of these songs that people sing, I'm like, those words rhyme, they're just not true. It sounds so awesome, and I write some of them. So anyway... Uh, but Joseph goes to prison, and he's in prison, and the cupbearer and the baker end up in prison, and they, um, they have dreams. The, the two prisoners have dreams, and they, no one can interpret the dreams. You know the story. Joseph interprets the dreams. He says to the cupbearer, the Lord's going to restore you, and he says to the baker, you're going to get hung, and sure enough, that's what happens. And Joseph says to the two of them, hey, you know what? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. But of course they forget. And then something happens. The Lord sets it up, and Joseph, uh, Pharaoh, has a dream. Verse 41, it came about at the end of full year, two full years. This is two full years after Joseph interprets the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. Two, it says uh, that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he was standing by the Nile. And lo, by the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, 
and they grazed in the marsh grass. And behold, seven other cows came up after him from the Nile, ugly and gaunt. And they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. Then Pharaoh awoke. Now, those are weird dreams. How many of you have ever had weird dreams? How many of you have dreams that are not strange at all? I totally understand them. Five of you. That's awesome. We love you. Not. And he, fell, um, and he fell asleep and he, and he dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain stood up, and, uh, up on a single stalk, plump and good. And then behold, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted and after them. And then, th- and then the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. Then Pharaoh woke, and behold, it was a dream. Now in the morning his spirit was troubled. So he sent and called all the magicians from Egypt and all the wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I would have mentioned today to my own, in my own offenses, Pharaoh was furious with his servants, and he put, he put them in confinement in the house, and the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. And we had dreams on the same night. He and I, each of us, dreamed according to the interpretation of its own dream. And now a Hebrew lad was in there, a servant of the captain, the bodyguard, and related to him that the interpret. I'm sorry, he related to him. We related to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one, he interpreted according to its own dream. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. And he restored us, restored me to my office. But he was hung. And then, Her- and then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out to the dungeon from the dungeon. Where he'd been, and he shaved himself, changed his clothes, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I've heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you know its interpretation. And I, tonight I just want to say that the Holy Spirit is pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh. And I believe that Pharaoh's dreaming. I just had this sense, I was about uh, two weeks ago, I was um, in Canada, and I'd woke up er- early in the morning, about three o'clock in the morning, and the Lord said, Pharaoh is dreaming again. And, uh, and so I, I just kind of just laid there, and, and I began to talk to the Lord, and the Lord said, Pharaoh's dreaming, but he doesn't know what he's dreaming about. And Joseph is dreaming too, and Joseph and Pharaoh are going to meet. If you want to know what Pharaoh is dreaming, watch movies. Because Pharaoh's dreaming, and he's making movies about things that he doesn't know anything about. He doesn't know what they mean. <laughs> Why don't you show a couple of those clips? A while back, it was last summer, I was um, going to speak at the School of Worship. Uh, as I was coming up to this podium to share, the Lord said, I want you to prophesy before you teach. I'm like, all right, what am I going to say? And he said, well, when you get to the pulpit, I'll tell you. So I get to the pulpit, and I said, all right, so here I am. What am I going to do? He said, um, tell the School of Worship that the mascot for this new season is not the, the eagle, the prophetic mascot 
for this season is no longer the eagle, but the owl. So I'm like, all right. So I, I shared that, that the mascot for this season is no longer the eagle, but the owl. And the Lord said, because the owl is nocturnal and the Lord has sent us into the deepest, darkest places on the planet. Isaiah 45.3 is, um, is becoming a key verse for this epic season that I'm going to give you hidden treasures in secret places of darkness. And so the Lord is, is uh, he's taking on, we're taking on this form of the owl and the owl can see in the night and the owl is nocturnal and the, the owl knows who's who. And so that's kind of important. And as I was sharing that story, um, Jen Johnson comes to the podium, is kind of waiting for me, and it turns out, I'm not sure I have his story exactly right, but one of the, I think it was a, uh, not a student, but one of the people who were auditing, I think it was the day before, was driving down the road, and there was an owl in the middle of the road. And so he tried to go around the owl, but the owl would move. The owl just stayed there. So finally he got out of the car. I think I have most of this right. He got out of the car, and he kind of was looking at the owl, and he put his hand out, and the owl just jumped up on his shoulder and he ends up bringing it to school <laughs> and so there's just something profound about the owl and then I've, um, the next day uh, was um, that was I think that was a Tuesday and Wednesday we Jason my son and I we flew to uh, <clears throat> LA to meet with Ahmad Givens who's become a good friend of ours um, and he was uh, the star of the show Second Chance of Love uh, 2 or something like that it was a, it's a VH1 show, and it's a dating show, not something we would, none of us would be interested in. He's an actor, and, a, and a, um, he has a band, and we met with him because he read my purity book, and re it really made a huge difference in his life, and he wanted to meet me, and there was this whole thing going on, and he was trying to get my book on VH1, which ended up getting on VH1, but they edited, the last, they edited it out. So that's the final part of that story. But as we're sitting across the table from, uh, from Ahmad Gibbons, He's a black kind of a rapper guy who I'd never met before. As we're interacting with him, it's, it's him, his attorney named Steve, our attorney Brock, and uh, my son and I, and we're kind of negotiating, you know, because uh, the, the book has, is, uh, the, the intellectual property rights are not owned by us, they're owned by our publisher, and he wants to get on VH1 anyway. This is complicated, a little bit more complicated than just saying yes. So we're talking about that, where maybe we're sitting there maybe five or six, seven minutes, and as we're interacting, I keep seeing this um, thing superimposed over uh, Ahmad. He's sitting across the table, and I keep seeing this, this like, this like, uh, this owl over superimposed over him. And I keep feeling like such a strong sense that he's a prophet. I keep seeing the words "prophet to the nations," and I'm like, "Wow, I'm, I'm not. I don't know much about Ahmad. I, I don't, I'm not even sure he's. I think he's a believer, but I'm not sure." So I say, uh, so we're talking business and contracts and all that kind of stuff, and I just can't really go on because this thing is so distracting. So finally I say, hey, time out. So <laughs> poor Brock, he's like, what? I go, time out. I can't do this anymore. He's like, do what? I said, I can't talk like this. We need to, I just, I said, Ahmad, I don't know, do you believe in prophecy? Because I have this like prophecy for you. He's like, oh, yeah, I do, you know. I go, good, well, I have this word for you. And I start talking to him about, I, that, that from the time he was conceived that he'd been called as a prophet to the nations and that the enemy had tried to st uh, steal his life in the womb and I gave him this whole word about that and by now he's like, he's, he's starting to weep and he's telling me the story that his mother, that in the womb he had this, certain, this really rare disease and they almost lost him and, and, and he's going on like that and, 
And so I, and I said, and so he's telling, so we're kind of interacting, and I go, and the, and the Lord's been giving you a sign. I had no idea what the sign is, but the Lord has been giving you a sign that you were called to, a, to be a prophet in the deepest, darkest places of the planet. You're like a Daniel. And I said, I don't know what the sign is. And when I said, You're, this is a sign, he goes, man, I know what the sign is. I said, what is it? He said, you're never going to believe this, but, and I don't know if I have the timing right, but I'm going to have to get him to write down the story so I make sure that it's accurate. But uh, it went something like this. He said, I don't know what this, he says, I don't know what this means, but we're like, like three months ago, we're walking down the street and, and uh, Steve and I, and in this city, and I forget what city it was, they were doing a concert there. And he said, this white owl came and flew right down. And, all, and I hadn't said a word about an owl, except for the day before. I said, this white owl came down and swooped down and flew right between us and almost hit us, huh, Steve? And Steve's all, uh-huh. He goes, it was weird, but I knew it was a sign from the Lord. And then it was like, I forget how much longer, like a week or two or three weeks later, he said, we were in another city and we were driving along in a car and another white owl in the city, in this other city, comes and comes, flies right down and almost hits our windshield and flies off. And then he goes, and then about... He said, and I forget how long, he said, like, like two weeks ago, we were walking down the street, and he said, this white owl comes flying right over my head. All white owls. Now, he, I hadn't said anything to him about an owl. So, I'm sharing that story in New Zealand, about the, the fact that, we've, that the Lord, is, is, He's needing us into society. He's taking us to the darkest places of society. He's training equipping us to, so that we can be deployed in the world. So Bill's word today, that we can be a city on a hill. That, that we're the light. Listen, we're not the light of, of, of our city. We're the light of the world. Are you with me? We're the light of the world. Jesus died because he loves the world. He doesn't love worldliness, but he loves the world. And so we're, so I'm telling this story, the story I just told you in New Zealand and as I'm telling the story, I have my cell phone, my iPhone, makes a distinction, in my front pocket. And uh, it vibrates when there's a text message, so it was vibrating. I'd forgotten to turn it off, so it was vibrating, and I, and I was just going to, I was kind of discreetly trying to turn it off. So I had it up here, and I was still sharing, and I put the phone here with intentions to turn it off. And as I looked, kind of glanced down at the phone as I'm telling the story, I noticed that Maud is texting me. And so, uh, so I put the phone there, and I'm finishing the story about the owl, and I look down, and it goes, it, it says, Dude, freak me out. Another white owl <laughs> just swooped over my head. As I'm telling the story, a white owl swoops over his head, and he texts me. There ought to be a name for that te- kind of texting. Owl texting, or who texts, or who texts you? And I, uh, let's see, let me make sure for some of you that are watching by Bethel TV and some of you that are not from here and, and uh, maybe you wouldn't know my core values. I'm not saying, like, like go watch any movie. Um, I, our people are learning to think, so they, they kind of... You know, every message I have, some assembly required. The people, people email me, like... I'm like, you know what, if I was that stupid, they wouldn't even let me get in the pulpit. Some of the things people think I could have said. So I have to be careful because I'm not talking about porn movies. 
I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about evil movies. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. Okay? So, so when I speak, you have to take it the way that you think I would mean it, which does require you to think while I'm speaking so that you can be a voice yourself and not just an echo. I'm also not endorsing, I haven't seen that movie, so I think it's a kid's movie, which doesn't mean anything. So, you know, if there's a bad scene in there, or the owls do something they shouldn't be doing. I mean, I don't know what owls could do wrong, but whatever it is, they could do. It's just bad that you have to say this stuff, but if you got as many emails as I do with people saying stuff that they that they think I could have possibly said, I'm like, oh, dude, I just do not preach to people who are stupid. I just don't. I refuse to preach to people who would think that somebody that loves God would even be able to think of some of the things that you could think I meant from that. So, I, I, do, you, do you know what I mean, right? So, you know, people are like, well, you know, the movie, da-da-da, I went there, and you said go watch movies, and it was horrible. I'm like, I never, oh, well, whatever, okay, so. And then some of you are, are dedicated to not watch movies. You're like movie Nazarites. It's, <laughs> so you're all offended, and I'm sorry about that, you know. Jesus drank wine, John didn't, so I don't know what you're going to do with that. I'm not saying that the movies of today are the wine of yesterday. I'm simply saying, <laughs> stop whining and watch movies. <laughs> Crying out loud. And this is a little sideline, but I don't know how some people get through life. I really don't. I re I'm serious. I really, this is, this has nothing to do with my message. It's just how people get through life. I was just sharing with, Ban I think it was Banning a couple of days ago. It's like people get offended so easy. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> you offended me. You know, it's like, it's crazy. You know, I have poured my life into people for years. I mean, I'm talking about like a certain person, like different people for years. And you say one thing to them, like, we don't have anything to do with you anymore because you offended us. I'm like, dude, you can't be that fragile. I mean, life is way too dangerous. You were born in the battlefield. I mean, how do you get through a day? Like, all right, you know. Your hemorrhoids all knotted up over nothing. Go on, man. I'm serious. Have you noticed that? Like, anyway. I worked in the world, man. You can say anything to those people. And they're like, Sorry say something to Christians are like, this is going to take five sozos to get past what you just said to me. I'm broken hearted to the deepest core of my being. Well, we must be friends because the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. Some people are like, I went to church and I got wounded. That's because of your friends. Your friends, your, your enemies all lie to you. They all tell you you're all awesome, you're amazing. But your friends tell you the truth. That's <laughs> devastating at times. We are off subject. So let's go back. To, 
Turn to the book of Daniel. How many of you leaders know what I'm talking about? The fence thing just drives me crazy. I don't. It's like I I wrote a whole book on purity, right? I mean, you know, fifty thousand words. Someone wrote me an email about one sentence. She didn't agree with it. Wrote me three emails. I said, the only way you're going to get somebody, the only way you're going to agree with everything that's in a book is to write one yourself. I don't even agree with some of the stuff I wrote in my first book. I mean, come on. You're going to read a whole book cover to cover and agree with every single point someone makes? Man, I just can't even believe people can live like that. Well, we've never disagreed in our family. That means only one person's thinking. There's one easy way to never have a disagreement. Have one master and one slave. Just some thoughts that coming to me right now. I don't know if they're the Lord at all. This doesn't have anything to do with my subject, so it must be either inspired or I've wound down into some demonic spirit that is attacking my mind right now. So are you in Daniel chapter 2? Did I say chapter 2? So Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And um, he has this dream and he... Sorry. I'm having to read it. I forgot what dream this was. Anyway, it was really... Oh, it was the dream of the statue. He has this dream. And he sees the statue and he's troubled in his spirit. And the, the king is... Um, he gets offended pretty easy. He brings in all the... Is it conjurers? Okay. Well, I said codgerers. <laughs> At the prophetic conference we had and. Every time I, when people laughed, I said it again because I thought they didn't hear me. <laughs> Danny Silk sitting in the front row, and he's like, codgerers are old men, old grouchy men. <laughs> I said, well, if I had bad prophecies, I'd, have, I'd be an old grouchy man also. So, conjurers. So he brings in the, the Chaldeans, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the magicians. Is that close? Okay, anyway, it's all the guys who like are in the darks. What's the problem, man? <laughs> Laugh when I'm supposed to be funny. So he brings those guys in and, and, he, and he says, tell me my dream and tell me its interpretation. They're like, they say to the king, you know, if you tell us the dream, you know, we might be able to interpret it. And he's like, no, no, listen, you either tell me the dream and my interpretation or you're all going to die. And they're like, this is not a good day. King's in a bad mood. King has PMS. Post-ministry syndrome. And so, um, what did you guys think I meant? So, he, uh, so he, just, he makes a decree and he says, listen, anyone who can't interpret my dream is going to die. They're all going to die. And Daniel's numbered with those guys. And so, in verse uh, 14... And Daniel replied with discretion and discernment, 
to the captain of the the king's bodyguard. And um, and he said to the king's bodyguard, uh, for this, what for why is this king? Why is the king's decree so urgent? And uh, and so I'm sorry. Verse 15, he said that what's that guy's name? Arkosh, whatever, (laughs) whatever, man. The king's commander, for why is the uh, why is uh, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? So Arkosh informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel sent, uh, went to the house and informed his friends that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in, night, in a night vision. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel said, and he goes on like that, Daniel ends up dreaming the same dream that Nebuchadnezzar dreams. And, um, and then he, he gets an audience with Nebuchadnezzar and he interprets the dreams. Now, this is a pretty simple message, really. All I'm trying to say is that I feel like that, that people who don't know God are beginning to dream. I don't know that they know what the dreams mean. But later on in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream about his own demise. About being a tree that's cut down. And You remember this? And again, the king calls Daniel in and Daniel interprets the dream for him. It's interesting. Um, when he calls Daniel in the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel, he calls Daniel in. He names Daniel. By now, Daniel's name is, I think it's Belshazzar. It's the name, it says in chapter 4, it says it's the name that he named Daniel, the name of the king's God. And he named him as the chief, he appointed him as the chief of all the magicians. And so now Daniel is not a prophet in the king's house. Daniel is, is among all the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, all the psychics of the day. So Daniel is not a prophet. Like Daniel's not named as a prophet anywhere in the Bible. I don't know if you know that. Daniel was never a prophet in the king's court. He was a psychic in the king's court. Now, we all know that he was a prophet, but from the king's perspective, he was a psychic. He was a sorcerer, a conjurer. conjurer. And so he interprets the dream, as, and he's the chief. He's in charge of all the sorcerers in the king's court because the Bible says that he's ten times more intelligent, ten times wiser, and ten times more discerning. And I just have a sense that the world itself, um, I was going to show you the clip 2012. Uh, how many of you have seen that clip or that part of that movie? Um, why don't you just show that real quickly? Yeah. It's interesting because the, uh, the New Age calendar only goes to 2012. So they're concerned about what's going to happen. And I think it's the end of the world. It's the beginning of the kingdom. I won't tell you the whole, about the whole movie, but it's very, um, uh, very creative. I don't know where they got the idea to shave, save people on submarines. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know where they got that idea, but uh, Noah did. Anyway, so... Uh, I really, the Lord is doing something really special right now. And I, I think you know, the greatest challenge that we're going to have in this season is not um, wolves in sheep clothing, 
but sheep in wolves' clothing. I think the greatest gift that that we that we need in this season now I have to be careful because First Corinthians 12 says that uh, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially this is 14 actually, especially that you would prophesy. For greater is the one who prophesied than him who speaks in tongues unless he's interpreted. So Paul makes a distinction that the greatest gift is prophecy. But, but for this epic season, I would like to say that the, the, the gift that we need most in this epic season that we're in, as far as besides the gift of prophecy, is the gift of distinguishing of spirits. The gift of distinguishing of spirits is not the gift of distinguishing evil spirits. You'll notice that in every, every uh, translation. I've looked it up in about seven translations. In every translation, it's called the distinguishing or the discerning of spirits. And I really believe that, that this discerning of spirits, this distinguishing of spirits, is going to be the, the, one of the most important gifts, probably the least understood and most important gift that we have in this season that we're coming into. Because the people that are coming to Christ, are, many of them are, are sheep, but they're in wolves' clothing. With wolves' clothing. They're going to look like Nebuchadnezzar's. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to look like the Pharaoh out of Egypt. They're going to look like Rahab's. And if you, if you just look at, at, if you just judge people after the flesh, you're going to miss treasures that God has hidden in secret places. And I, I really believe that, um, that God wants us to, you know, in, in, uh, it's in the Bible. God says this in the Bible somewhere. Second Corinthians 5.16, Paul said, We no longer know each other after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Second Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. But 16 says, We no longer know each other after the flesh, but after the Spirit. In, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's talking about communion, and he's talking about taking communion and not judging the body rightly. And he says, Some of you are sick and others have even died because you have not rightly judged the body. And I think that I know that he's in one dimension. He could be talking about actually judging people in, the, in a negative sense, you know, cursing people. But I actually think that the context is that that many of us need something that somebody else has. But because we have not rightly valued the people who are around us, we have not received what we need from the people that God put around us to get grace from. And therefore, many of us are sick. And others have even died because God has hidden the greatest grace in sometimes in the twilight years of people's lives and in, in, in places, in dark places that you wouldn't look for it. And I think that we need to realize that God is creating, um, uh, oh boy, this is going to be, that God is creating a partnership between Joseph and Pharaoh, between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, that God is creating partnerships. And I, I've had this sense, and I've been sharing this for, I don't know, five or six months. In Romans 13, it says this, Every person is to be in subjection to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those who exist are, are established by God. Therefore, resist he who, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinances of God, and they have opposed those who oppose will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not cause for fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is the minister of God to you for good. 
But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. It is a minister of God, an avenger of those who bring wrath on all who practice evil. Therefore, it's necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Because, for because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render, all, um, render to all what is due them. To tax, to tax to whom taxes due, custom whom tux, customs due, fear to whom fears due, honor to whom honors due. And I, just, I want to stop there and just say that Paul is talking in the days of Nero. He says, listen... These, these public servants, these leaders, these mayors, these, these, in his day, these kings, these monarchs, these are servants of God. It's interesting that he writes that in the same season, just not many years later, that he's, he's crucified, Paul's crucified on a cross. And, and here he says that we need to honor, Romans 13, we need to honor people that are in leadership and we pay taxes because God has called them ministers. So it's interesting. We have, we have spiritual leadership that we pay tithes to. And we have natural leadership that we pay taxes to. And God calls them both ministers. And I think that I, I, this prophetic word that the Lord gave me a while back is that Romans 13, we just read, Romans 13 ministers and Ephesians 4 ministers, he gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They're going to begin to join hands. They're going to be Joseph and Pharaoh are going to begin to join hands. And I, I feel like there's I, I understand that there's all kinds of connotations uh, of worldliness and staying away from the world. And you don't have partnerships with people who don't know God. I understand that's 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 part of the story. But do you understand that the Bible is written in a paradox? Jesus makes statements like, unless you hate your mother and father, you have no part of me. You can't be my disciple. Then he turns to these Pharisees and he says, listen, you have, you, you, you have, you have broken the commandments. Love, honor your mother and father and you'll have long life. For you give everything to God and you don't leave anything. You call it Corbin, a gift to God. And you don't leave anything for your parents and you broke the commandments. On one hand, he said, unless you hate your mother and father, you don't have any part of me. And then he rebukes the Pharisees because they don't honor their mother and father. And what I'm getting at is this, is that the Bible is written in a paradox so that you need a relationship with God so you know what to do. Listen, sometimes we teach people out of a relationship with God. They know so much, they don't even have to know God. But if you read the Bible, listen, if you read the Bible cover to cover, if you try to just be led by the Bible, you'll be in confusion because the Bible is written intentionally in a paradox because it's the Holy Spirit that leads you into all truth. You need the Holy Spirit to know when to apply what Scripture to your life. And so I want to propose to you that there, we're, we're coming into this season where Joseph and Pharaoh are going to create a partnership and we're going to save Egypt and save the Israelites. You understand this is a metaphor that, that God is doing something that we're to partner with our city fathers. We're to partner with our civic leaders. We're to partner with the educational system. We're stop demonizing people that we don't agree with and start building partners with them. Start honoring people that deserve honor. Stop talking against anybody who doesn't agree with us. You can't even get each other to agree with you. People read my book and still don't know I'm right. And we've got to take agreement out of the bond and, and not make it the bonding point of walking with somebody. 
I understand you're like, well, if two agree, then they can walk together. I understand that. But I'm also saying that the disciples argued the whole time that they were with Jesus and they still were a part of a family. Jesus created tension. In, I, you know, does it, does it ever trouble you that Jesus brought the three, same three disciples to all the special occasions? Even though he knew they were arguing about who's the greatest, you think that calmed it down? Do you think, don't you think that if Jesus, if Jesus was concerned about all the dissension, that he could have helped a little bit by like, okay, I'm going to take you three, and then you, get, you three get to ride the bikes next, and you get the three get to ride the bikes next. But, you know, I don't know if you thought about this, but Jesus creates tension just by inviting the same three people every time he's doing something special. They're, they're arguing over who's the greatest, and Jesus keeps saying, well, there are three people who are closer to me than everyone else. It's not true that God, listen, it is true that God loves everyone the same. It's not true that God favors everybody the same. And part of discerning, part of discerning of spirits or, or the, uh, this, um, being able to distinguish spirits is being able to distinguish what favors on somebody. The ability to be, walk into a room and distinguish what level of favor is on someone is going to be so important in this season that we come into. There are Nebuchadnezzars who yet, they just haven't met God yet, but God's met them. God's been talking to them in dreams. God's been talking to them in visions. And they are troubled. They can't sleep at night. And they're waiting for the, their Daniels, their Josephs to come in and say, this is your dream and this is what it means. Some Dan, uh, later on, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of this tree, and I started to tell you about it. And he dreams about his own demise. It's not, it's not Daniel that has a, a bad dream about the king. It's the king who has a bad dream about himself. And Daniel ends up um, counseling the king and, set, and, and interpreting the dream as like, you're going to have some bad years, but God's going to restore you. When you realize that God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he's going to give your kingdom back to you. And I, I, I think that there are, there's so many powerful things happening um, in the world right now that we just need, we need wisdom, we need discretion, we need discernment, and we need the distinguishing of spirits so we can see through the darkness like the owl. We can look through the darkness. Are you listening to me? We've got to take away the old assumptions. We've got, to, we've got to take off the dark glasses. We've got to be able to call things that are not as though they are. We, listen, I'm not talking about just positive confession. I'm not talking about, you know, just calling something, you, you're amazing. You know, uh, flattery is the evil stepchild of encouragement and discernment. And prophetic declarations. Some people just think that you can just walk around just saying good stuff to people, and, and that does it. That, that's prophecy is encouraging, edifying, and exhorting. So if I encourage, edify, exhort you, that's I, I'm prophesying to you. It's like uh, wait a second. That's the fruit of prophecy. It's not the definition. So there are people walking around flattering people in the name. I'm not talking about speaking negative to people. I'm just trying to make a distinction between. Seeing, calling things that are not as though they are because that's the way God sees them, not because you're a salesman on some car lot and you're trying to get someone to buy something. 
I'm talking about taking on the eyes of God and seeing the world through God's eyes and then calling what is not as though it is and seeing those things come about. And I want to tell you that, that, uh, that Pharaoh needs a friend, that Nebuchadnezzar needs a friend. Hmm. They need friends who will tell them the truth, who will love them through hard times and will have wisdom and discretion and discernment for them. And they, they don't just need people who are like, oh, you're awesome, you rock, you're amazing. That's, that's all good. But they need, they need more insight than that. And I think one of the things, if I can just talk plainly, I, I really feel like the Lord wants to take the whole prophetic gift to another level. I think He wants us to, to be able to know things. Like Daniel not only knew the interpretation of the dream, but he, he actually got the dream. He pressed in. He said, listen, give me some time. He had his friends pray, and Daniel ends up with the same dream that the king had. And then he knows the interpretation. I think that we need to press in deeper. I think that we've, we've come to this level. Maybe I'm only speaking to myself. I'm hungering for something more. I'm, I'm, I'm hungering for something that can save nations, can transform kings. And I think that we're doing that on, on some level. So, you know, when I say this, you're like, well, I hear testimonies all the time coming out of Bethel. Are those not true? I'm like, those are true, but I feel like there's something more. There's something deeper. I feel like the Lord is promoting us, our whole movement. I think we're supposed to be discipling nations. I, I mean, I know that from the Bible. I understand that. I'm talking about, I think we're entering into this season where we're supposed to be making disciples of nations. But listen... It's going to take a different way of thinking. If we're going to demonize anyone who doesn't agree with us, we are not going to build value with people who have authority. I'm sure that in Romans 13.1, where Paul talks about rulers, governors, you know, world leaders, honoring them, I don't think he agrees with them. But he says, listen, I want you to honor them. And four times he says, because they're ministers of God. Some of you are from other countries, so I can't speak to your culture. In our culture, if, you're in the, if, you're, if you become a political figure in our culture, it's a free-for-all. You just stepped into, you just stepped into the... You just decided that you're going to be like... Um, what do they call it in Mexico where you... The piñata... If you're a politician in America, you just became the pinata that people beat the candy out of you. No such thing as honor in our country if you become a politician. And um, I think it's I think it's important that we realize that that we're supposed to first of all pray for our leaders. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, first of all, pray for leaders and those who are in authority, that you might live a peaceful life. I don't know that if he said, I don't know he said, no, first of all, find every place you can disagree with them, write them letters, and protest them. You know what happens when, you know, Jesus said these signs 
Mark 16. These signs will follow those who believe. We're supposed to be doing signs and wonders. But when the church loses power, signs become something that you can nail to a stick and take to a gay parade. I don't know if that's what Jesus meant when he said, do signs that make you wonder. But every time I see one of those signs, it does make me wonder. And of course, we all know how much influence they're having. You guys are so serious tonight. I think we're going to have to learn how to respect people that we don't agree with. Everybody's clapping. I wonder if you are. And um, well, the last thing is um, Joseph. I said is the eleventh son of um, the son of Rachel. It's interesting. I don't know what all this means, but I just woke up last night at one o'clock in the morning. I was just reading the story of um, Israel, Jacob, and his four wives, actually two wives and two concubines. Isn't it interesting that the nation of Israel was actually started from multiple marriages and two mistresses? And God counted all the children. Um, Judah, who, the, that Jesus, the tribe that Jesus came out of, was from the unloved wife, Leah, the loved wife only had two children, Joseph and Benjamin. And Joseph, um, Benjamin, when Benjamin was born, Rachel was in really bad, had really bad childbirth. And as she was giving birth to Benjamin, she died. The loved wife died. And right before she dies, she names the child the son of my sorrows. But Israel comes in when she's giving birth and she names the child the son of my sorrows and he says, no, your name will be Benjamin, the son of my right hand. And um, it's interesting because Psalm 16, 8 says, I have set the Lord continually before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Psalm 16:11 You make you will make to me the you've made me you've made known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore Wondrously show your loving kindness O savior to those who take refuge at your right hand Psalms 18:35 You have also given me a shield of your salvation and your right hand upholds me and your gentleness makes me great Revelation 1.16, in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And I, I, I think that this, there's a transition going on. That we're going from Joseph, who was the, how many know that Joseph was the counselor to the king? And we're moving to David and Solomon. David and Solomon weren't counselors to kings, they were kings. And Benjamin was the twelfth son, he was the... You know, the 12 is the number of government. And I believe that we're, 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 God wants us to influence kings, but He also wants kings to come from us. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, 
Paul said, you're already kings. And so I, I think that we're, we're, there's, we're moving in this transition. And this transition looks like God wants us to influence kings. And God also wants many of us to become kings. You understand I'm using the word kings as a generic term for he wants us to come to a place of authority in different areas in our cities. And I think that it's, it's, I think there's a transition happening in us. And I think that, that the way that we get there is that we serve the people who God has put in place. I think it's important that we learn how, um, how apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers can actually interact and build partnerships with Roman 13 leaders, civic leaders in our, in our cities. And one of the uh, passions that, I've, that I have right now is that every church of significance in every city would have somebody on their staff that their primary job was co- is connecting with Romans 13 leaders. Like I just have this passion that would, wouldn't it be awesome if every single church lived to benefit at least their city? I mean, that they would benefit the world, but they would at least benefit their city. That they would go to, uh, they would go to city council meetings, not to protest, not to carry a sign, not to tell the, the, the city council all the things that we didn't like that, you, that you're doing or that we don't like that you're doing, but that we'd actually go there to find out what the needs of our city are so that we can bring it back to our people, so we can pray about it, so we can pour into it, so that we could fund it. And that we just begin to be callous to our city and that we take away the dividing wall. I'm not talking about a worldliness, but Jesus died for the world. He became, he told us that we were the light of the world. Are you with me? He said he's going to pour a spirit upon, uh, out on all flesh, on all mankind. He's going to rebuild the tabernacle of David so that all mankind might seek the Lord. And we begin to act like we actually believe that. And we build, we begin to build friendships, not with worldliness, but with people who are in the world. And we begin to get permission to be able to help somebody that, that maybe doesn't even want to get saved, but we help them succeed in whatever office God's called them to without an agenda to actually lead them in a prayer. That we actually get the opportunity to just benefit Nebuchadnezzar's, to benefit you know, the leaders of, of our city. And I just think that it would be awesome if every, if every single church began to think like, Okay, you know, let's let's put somebody on staff that, and maybe it'd be several people. I, you know, what, you understand what I'm getting at. I'm not I'm not making a rule out of it. I'm simply saying that there would be people on the on staff team that their job would be to build friendships with Roman 13's Roman 13 leaders for this for the the um, for the purpose not of leading them to Christ, but actually benefiting their city. And we've been doing this in our own city. We've been just loving on uh, our own city leaders. We've been doing it for a lot of years. We've been doing it more purposefully in the last uh, year. Just like, where can we help? We've been, we started um, giving a tithe of our tithe to our city. Just, just laid at the, our city leaders' feet and said, just take this money and just use it for whatever you want. And we, we just want to help our city succeed. And I believe, listen... I believe that the answer to this recession is not going to be found by the President of the United States. It's not going to be answered by Congress or the Senate or any political leader. I believe that this problem is our problem. 
And I believe that God's put the answer to this recession in our hands. That in the midst of this dark time, and listen, this is a global problem. It's not an American problem. It's not just a European problem. This is a global problem. This is our world stage. And rise and shine, for your light has come. Behold, deep darkness has not covered. It, it doesn't say deep darkness covers your city. It says deep darkness covers the earth. When you see deep darkness cover the earth, you know that you're, you're on stage. It's time for you to shine, if you will. Not just reflect, but shine. Not just be an echo, but be a voice. And begin to be discerning and, be, and, let, and, and, and begin to allow us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The word wise or shrewd, the word shrewd as serpents is the word to think. It means to think. And I really believe that the Lord would just release on us the intelligence of Daniel. As a matter of fact, if Daniel is an Old Testament model, the greatest, the least in the kingdom is greater than Daniel. And so what, what kind of thoughts could we have? What kind of innovations could we have? What kind of solutions to tough problems could we have in our city? But I want to tell you that Pharaoh is dreaming. <laughs> Pharaoh is beginning to dream and he's waiting for people to come in and interpret his dreams. And I think it is true that many of the movies that we're watching, their prophetic declarations, I don't necessarily mean they're positive. I mean, they're, you, know, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's dreaming of his own demise. Some of the movies, the, the, the producers are producing movies about their own demise. And it's a sign that they're in trouble. It's a sign that they know that they're in trouble. You know, uh, uh, it's interesting that Pharaoh dreams... He has a dream about seven fat calves and seven skinny calves. You know, it's, it's interesting that he knows, he, knows there's, he knows there's going to be seven fat calves and seven skinny calves. I mean, God gives him the answer, but he doesn't have the key to unlock the code to his own dream. Samuel comes to uh, Saul, who is, you know, before he's king, and he says, he says, listen, your donkeys have been found, but... I want you to stay because tomorrow I'm going to tell you all that's in your heart. For aren't you the one whom all of Israel is waiting on? And Saul goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm from the smallest tribe. I'm from the smallest family. And I'm, I, I don't know what you're talking about. But Samuel says to Saul, tomorrow, I want you to stay because tomorrow, tomorrow, everybody say tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'm going to tell you all that's in your heart. He's told, he told Saul the next morning, you're going to be king. But this is interesting. He said, I'm going to tell you what's, what's already in your heart. And I think that, that <laughs> it sounds crazy, but I think the world knows the answers, but they just don't have the key to unlock the treasure that's already in there. Like, I think that God loves everybody, that God's made everybody a gift, that every person that's walking the planet is, was made in God's image. No exceptions. That literally your name has to be blotted out the book of life if you don't receive Christ because it was written in from the foundation of the world. God never intended anyone to go to hell. Hell was never made for man. It was made for the, for the devil and for all of his demons. Are you with me? And there's something about these treasures that are hidden in secret places of darkness that we just need to get in there and stop the judgments and begin to unlock those treasures and say to God, give us the gift of discerning of spirits, of distinguishing of spirits. Let us look past the flesh and no longer know people after the flesh, but after the spirit. And the truth is, it was because of Pharaoh that all of the, the 72 uh, members of, of Joseph's family actually were saved. 
It was because Pharaoh allowed them to come in and eat at his table. Are you with me? It was Pharaoh who provided the food. Joseph provided the insight, but Pharaoh had the food. I don't even know what I'm talking about, but there's a partnership happening. The world is the Lord's and all it contains. It doesn't matter who's ruling it. God's in charge. That's what Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was in charge. And Daniel says, listen, you're going to be humbled until you realize that the Lord is king of kings. You're a king, but he's the king over you. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And like water, he turns it whichever way he wishes. Listen, if we could understand how much God is in charge of kings that don't even know him, I believe we'd be shocked. I don't know. I'm not sure how to say this. We pray. We pray for our president. We pray for during the election. We pray for, oh God, we just pray for the right man. Maybe we pray for a specific person. And we pray and we pray and we pray and we gather and we fast and we pray. And I mean, I mean, thousands of people, probably millions of people pray for the, the president. Who's going to be president? And then the person gets in that we didn't pray for. I'm not sure how to say this. I'm not even sure I'm right. But the question I have is, did God answer your prayer or not? And did the people that prayed a different prayer or the people that don't know God, did the wicked people have more power over who got an office than you did? Are we, ask, are we asking God for our, our way or His way? And then somebody gets an office who totally ha- doesn't have our values, and it's like, okay, well, we lost that one. I'm not sure that's how we should think about it. I, I, I'm just I'm doing what I do not so well in public. I'm externally processing live. I'm wondering if we should honor the choice and pray for them no matter who's in office. Listen, let me, I know I can say this safely, that no matter who's in office, that we would pray for them as much as we prayed for the person we chose. And we pray that God would put righteous people around them and that we would love them in spite of the choices they make. I really don't know how to reconcile this and doing it up here is probably not positive. So, Lord, we just pray right now that you would give us wisdom for these times. That you would give us real wisdom for these times. That you would give us discretion. I pray that all over the world that the church would begin to be able to interpret dreams to understand riddles, to have wisdom, words of knowledge. And because we love our city,
that you would give us a place of influence in our city. I'm going to stop for just a minute. I just remembered something. I was, ha- I was having a conversation with somebody. I'm sorry, I'll be done in just a couple of minutes. I was having a, couple, a conversation with somebody, um, a prophetess, just as, two weeks ago. And she said, do you love your city? I said, no, I love Bill Johnson. I, p- I pray that he'd get an apostolic call to San Diego. Because I'm with him, so wherever he goes. And she looks at me and she goes, God says he's not going to let you have any influence in your city until you fall in love with your city. Because he loves your city. And I, I said, did I say I didn't love our city? I love our city. Why don't you stand and just join hands right now? Let's let's do this. Let's find out what city the people on your left and right are from. Okay, that's good. That's good. That's good. It didn't take that long. Join hands. Man, there's preachers in this room. A whole room full of preachers here. Okay, what I want you to do is I want you just to begin to pray. I want you to pray for their city leaders. I want you to pray that they would have influence with their city leaders. That God would give them a special love and compassion for their city leaders. And, you know, that's the theme. So you can, you know, branch off of that. But I want you to pray for their city, for their city. And maybe some of you would feel prompted to actually pray for their nation, especially if they're from a different nation. That would be great. But I want you to pray right now. I just want you to just begin to pray. Just, yeah. Violently is good. You hear the mountains tremble? Can you hear the singers roar? What would happen if you actually believed something was changing right now as you prayed? That cities literally are being... Reformed by your prayers. Come on. You are a friend of God. You have influence with the Father. You ask and He acts. Mankind. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Wouldn't you like to live to see that prophecy fulfilled? All flesh. 
Keep praying. Keep praying. Nations are being shaken right now. Cities are being reformed. Lord, send out the owls. Send out the owls. Let us penetrate the deepest places of darkness. I break the spirit of fence off the church. We're always offended at everything. That's one of the reasons why we can't get into the deep places. Lord, I break the spirit of offense off of the church. Help us be unoffendable. Help us to get into the deepest, darkest places. And let us bring forgiveness with us. Come on. Let us bring mercy with us. Let us release peace over people. Let us be unoffendable in God. Come on. Pray some more, a little deeper. Lord, we pray for our president. We pray for the presidents of the world, world leaders, even dictators and emperors, prime ministers. Lord, we pray right now that you just release your spirit over them, that they begin to dream, that they begin to dream, that they begin to dream. We pray right now that the Nebuchadnezzars of the world, the pharaohs of the world, would begin to dream the dreams of God. They'd be troubled in their spirits. Lord, we pray they'd be troubled in their spirits. They begin to say, I need an answer. I know I've had... A dream from God. I need an answer. I don't even know this God. Lord, trouble the waters of their heart for you. Lord, we pray for those that have, that have chose wickedness. You said when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. When the, picket, when, the, when the wicked rule, the people mourn. Lord, we just pray right now for those that have chose wickedness. Lord, that you would turn their hearts like channels of water. That you would take their heart in your hand. That you would turn their hearts. That you would change their, their direction. Thank you, Lord. We pray, we pray that the miracles of this 21st century would be kings that were wicked come to God. I mean, ones we've wrote off. Hey, how about this? Ones that have spoken against Israel would turn, have visions, dream dreams. In a moment, they would turn. Didn't we see, didn't we put three men in the fire? Who's the fourth that I see? Like the Son of God. Come on. Lord, in these countries where people are being martyred and persecuted, that their leaders, that their world leaders would have visions that trouble them, dreams that trouble them, that nobody could interpret but your people.